Okay. So good afternoon, everybody. Um, welcome to another episode of Sales Leadership All Access. Uh, this is a weekly broadcast dedicated to helping out sales leadership and helping those sales leaders lead, really. Uh, my name's David Oates. I'm the Chief Revenue Officer for a company called Proda, based out of London in the prop tech space. Um, and I'm your host for today. Um, so every week on this podcast, if you've listened to any of them before, we bring four, four sales leaders together in front of a live audience, um, typically from both sides of the pond. Um, we won't be discussing COVID and we won't, or we will be discussing COVID, but we certainly won't be discussing the US elections or the state of the British government. Um, but we've got some, you know, we've got a huge topic facing us right now. And today we're going to look at enterprise selling, account-based strategies, look at how the current disruptions are affecting what we do and have driven longer sales cycles or have they driven longer sales cycles? Look at how to maintain momentum um, and look at some of the vital signs of an enterprise deal. And then look a bit more closely at how you map your market, choose the logos to go after and, um, and how we really gain a foothold with them. Um, so I'll just do some quick introductions for the panel. Uh, we're joined by um, Marla Freeman, who joins us from the US. Marla's the Regional VP of Sales for Access Softtech. Um, with over two decades of experience at the top of sales leadership, she's had sales directorships—sorry, I'll start again—had sales directorships across multiple companies, and uh, and I'm going to let her talk about access. Um, also, Alex Otley. Um, Alex has an interesting background for a sales leader, and is a former solicitor. Um, or for our American colleagues, lawyer, um, <laughs> and is the co-founder and head of uh, revenue and marketing for ReachDesk. Um, thirdly, uh, Josh Wagner. Josh has spent the last decade selling the value of marketing, um, always been focused in that arena, um, and uh, now works for, um, is a, sorry, head of partnerships for LeadMD. And finally, Ernest Awusu, um, Ernest probably has the most interesting background as he's a former Tampa Bay Buccaneer um, in the <laughs> NFL. Um, took that success on the field and has applied it to sales development, sales leadership, and is currently at Sixth Sense. So um, what I'd like to do is ask, um, I'll pose the first question, but as you answer, if you could all talk just for a couple of minutes about the organizations you work for and your role within them, that'd be great. But I think we'll start off, obviously COVID is a huge talking point for everybody. Um, it has changed the face of sales. Um, and it's interesting to, I think, hear from the panel as to how you've seen it um, actively affect the sales cycle, longer or shorter, but I think we probably all agree it's longer. So perhaps, Marla, could you start? Sure. Um, I'm Marla Freeman, by the way, uh, Regional Sales Manager for Access Softtech. We provide uh, online uh, mobile banking solutions, digital banking solutions for credit unions and uh, banks. Uh, and uh, we've been around since 1986 and we have uh, some wonderful products. My business is interesting during COVID because yes, it does, it does affect the sales cycle. It's, it's longer because a lot of credit unions are and banks are still not certain where things are going. So they're afraid to spend the money on one hand. On the other hand though, because of COVID, everything is closed down, their branches have closed down. So they need uh, a, a more uh, updated digital uh, solution so people could go online since they can't go into the branches. So it's affected it both ways. Um, I, it's a lot harder. It's a lot longer because you can't get in touch with anybody. Everybody's working from home. 
um, as well. So it's just been, it's been interesting, especially in the beginning. Yeah. And I, hope yeah, I think it brings up a really interesting point around access, right? And there's so many different industries where access to your buyer has changed and financial services is obviously one that's hugely impacted. I think of medical device sales, pharmaceutical sales, organizations that have these massive sales, field sales orgs that now have people who plan their week around getting on a plane every other day to go to a new city are now planning their week around what? And they're having to learn from their inside sales colleagues to, to, to operate in a new environment because largely you know, these big enterprise sellers have been planning how they sell based on meetings, hopping on a plane week in and week out. Yeah, Alex, are you experiencing similar? Um, no, our, our sales cycle is nearly half what it used to be actually. Um, and, it, and it ties into what we're talking about today. As a business, um, and I'll quickly introduce myself and I'll talk to you about how we reduced that. It was longer at the beginning. Um, so I'm one of the co-founders of a business called ReachDesk. Um, we're a sending platform. So when the pandemic hit, I thought, wow, we're in trouble because our business is all about sending direct mail gifts to people's offices. I thought it was game over, I'm not gonna lie. But then we really moved very quickly to make sure that we could redirect packages, create experiences virtually, as well as sending to people's homes, using address confirmation systems, those kind of things. Um, yeah, it was very slow at the beginning and our sales cycle did lengthen as things like budgets were factored in. Um, but what we did really quickly within the first two months was use things like intent data, which I'm sure Ernest will talk a lot about because that's a huge part of your business. Um, but using intent data, really analyze the industries that are thriving, the ideal personas that, that you should really be speaking to and be very intelligent and narrow-minded about who we're going to go after. And then when something is in the sales cycle for marketing to put a lot of support into helping sales actually accelerate and close those deals and not focus anywhere else, right? just laser focused if it sat outside of that new ICP that we created, which we'll probably talk about later, um, we just wouldn't touch it. And then when something was in pipeline, how do we do everything possible to accelerate a deal? How do we help close it? And all these tactics that you can use there. And as a result, we've seen you know, our, our sales cycle nearly half over the past three months just by, just by doing th those methods and being very disciplined. How interesting, Ernest, I mean, it's an instant leading for you with your background. Perhaps you could quickly just introduce what your business does and then uh, maybe pick up on some of the points Alex made. Yeah, sure. Uh, so again, Ernest Wusu, I lead our uh, sales development efforts at Sixth Sense. And basically, since then, Sixth Sense is a platform that helps companies identify when other companies want to buy their product once they know that they can start targeting them effectively and ultimately close them into business. And the reality is obviously we eat our own dog food. So we use our own product to help us in times like this. But the reality is once, once COVID initially hit, uh, similar to all the other companies in the space, we kind of hit the panic button uh, trying to do different things and thought we had to kind of change our process. And uh, the reality is when that first month or so happened, we did see a dip in pipeline and overall sales just because we were we kind of changed our process. But the reality is kind of similar to what Alex mentioned, um, what has always allowed Sixth Sense and our customers to be effective is we only go after people that actually want to buy from us. We only go after people that are showing different levels of intent, uh, that are strong ICP fit, because we know that gives the biggest chance to ultimately close them to business. And when we noticed COVID happening and we kind of went away from that process just because we were trying to figure things out and thought we'd have changed what we did, uh, we did suffer from that. But then once we kind of hit that aha moment of like, you know, we've been doing this really well for a period of time and our product is literally built for this and got back to it. 
you know, our average contract values, they started going back up. Our sales cycles uh, decreased in time again, because the reality is, you know, when you take an account-based approach, if you're going after the accounts that are the strongest in terms of profile fit in your ICP, and they are showing uh, this different behavior, that in case they want to have a conversation with you and you're timing it based upon that, uh, it's much easier to not only get into accounts, but to move into the sales cycle relatively quickly. And uh, that's more or less what we've done. And as a result, you know, when we did initially suffer, and beginning onslaught of COVID, we've been able to bounce back pretty effectively. And did you see your sales cycle shorten as well? Yeah, we did. And it, it was interesting because, you know, we started realizing uh, based upon different, because there were kind of like different tiers of people. I feel like there was like a tier one where like your, your business was not impacted at all, or even a tier two where, you know, you started doing a lot better and you needed more of a solution, like a sixth sense to help you get in down, in down the right path. Uh, once we started to see this like dichotomy of people that like either were not interested because they couldn't you know, they couldn't afford to buy six cents. They couldn't necessarily use a product like six cents or their, their business was suffering versus other ones who need this more. So it made it a lot easier to have conversations for people that were showing different levels of intent because they were, they need the solution right then and there. So as a result, uh, because there was that, that need due to COVID, uh, our sales cycles did decrease and we were able to increase our ACV because the people need our product. Uh, the companies would say need our product at the moment. That's really interesting. Um, so it sounds like we've got two of you where the sales cycles lengthened and two where it shortened. Um, I mean, so therefore for the two where it's lengthened, I mean, at what point do you go, this is too long, I'll move on and do something else? Um, you know, because certainly in, in my business, you know, we sell into the commercial real estate business, our sales cycles have significantly lengthened um, as people are, you know, kind of backpedaling on their market strategies. Um you know, Josh, I mean, at what point do you think too long is, is, you know, not sustainable? And how do you keep the momentum going when those cycles are lengthening? Yeah, well, I actually, to answer that question, I'm going to touch on something that Alex said, and to a certain extent, what, what Ernest said, because, you know, we are a marketing performance consultancy. So what we're doing is helping mid-market enterprise companies go to market more strategically. And that really aligns the customer experience. And what we found is organizations now more than ever are investing in the customer experience. The expectations of the customer has changed and even more so that's been amplified by the impacts of COVID. So what companies are trying to do is work that we may have pitched a year ago, two years ago to that, that we call ABM work, right? Defining your ICP, understanding what intent data your customers care about, buyer journey mapping, all of those things that are ABM centric, when we called them ABM, they're just like, yeah, 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 we'll push that off to the side. Well, now that their sales cycles are being lengthened and their world's getting turned upside down, they are looking for ways to pivot, to pivot more effectively. And they're finding that if we do have a laser focus on the things that matter, the best fit buyers, the best fit accounts, the people within those accounts, how they buy, what matters to them, what their experience is, and designing those things, it's accelerating sales cycles to Alex's point, right? Like you, you get laser focused on your business, you're going to have impact that matters. And we're actually a partner with Ernest Company and Sixth Sense. And once you create that work and that framework at the top to really understand how you go to market, applying tools like Sixth Sense to help you map intent data of those buyers, what they're doing, that's where you can start to get that acceleration back in your sales cycle. So it is really almost an investment in the fundamentals mm -hmm. that companies have gotten complacent over time. And if we're looking for a silver lining in COVID, 
it's it's lit a fire under a lot of big organizations to start making some big change, which is for the better because it's a better customer experience. Okay, Marla, you got any comment? Yeah, I mean, very similar to what Josh said. Um, you know, in my business, we have those that that are hesitating because of the budget and they don't know where things are going. But then we have those that are very outdated as far as uh, the online and, and digital and trying to get their customers more customer experience focused, as someone said before. So those are the ones we're concentrating on. Those are the ones that the sales cycle is actually shorter because they realize now we have to do something more. You know, we can't, the, our customers can't go into the branches. They can't communicate with the bank. We need some more updated uh, products to help out, so. Yeah. yeah. Just, just to piggyback off that as well. Um, you know, if you think about kind of how people are, are trying to buy nowadays and trying to assess whether or not it's too long, um, the reality is if it's a company that's in your ICP, they're showing these strong levels of behavior that indicate they want to have a conversation with you. And that's, we can pull that from all different kinds of intent solution. Uh, one obviously being Sixth Sense. Um, but if you can get a sense of all the information, the reality is even if someone does want to make an investment in you, especially on the enterprise sales side where it's a lengthy investment, big investment, um, there might be just a natural hesitancy or fear of what might happen at, because of budgets are constraints and, and people are kind of uh, worried more or less about their jobs. But the reality is if you get a sense of, of a certain company that is within your ICP and they are showing those different behaviors that indicate they wanna buy from you, then length of time should really be an issue is more so about being respectful of the fact to their customer experience, as Josh mentioned, of that sometimes people just need to do, uh, do more research and need to find more about your solution and learn more about you and then kind of pull the trigger when the timing is appropriate. But um, that's kind of what we've kind of hung our hats on here at Six End, and it's helped us to kind of uh, be respectful as other companies are trying to make their decisions. Yeah, how about you, Alex? Are you seeing exactly the same thing? Um, I, I think I built this business from an account-based model from the start, so we never had to rip out anything and really start from scratch. So it's, I don't want to speak too much about that because, you know, unlike uh, Marla's business, we're very young. I, it was actually two years to the day yesterday that I actually started the company. So we're really young, really, really young. Um, but because my background was in account-based marketing, we always started with the account. That meant that we always started with the experience. And the bits that are important to me seem like semantics a lot of people, but I actually believe it contributes a lot, particularly when we're selling remotely. And the things that I think are important is, to Ernest's point, if you if you think about what the sales cycle looks like now, and if you've got like a BDR team that's doing outreach, the experience is everything, right? So if BDR is doing outreach, someone raises their hand and they say, "Yeah, I'd like to have, have a meeting," and the BDR just disappears, and they've they've been the one having the conversations and everything, and all of a sudden they step out, then that damages the experience. So I recommend everyone have like proper handovers. The BDRs are on those calls; they introduce them. Uh, they continue that relationship and then they hand it off seamlessly to the AE. And that's the same with your account management and CS team. A lot of businesses are also expanding into their existing customer base. So there has to be like true customer experience. You know so much about your customers, but you know more than them about them than, than I think most people realize. And so I think a lot of the bits that, that can help is about how do you use your individual reps and management team as well to really dive into that experience and just sprinkle that bit of glitter on every single stage of the process because those are things that we've seen accelerate handovers like just the small things like you know i'm biased but before a discovery call sending someone a little coffee just saying looking forward to being soon here's something to energize you or just after something just sending that little package that might change their day those are the small things that you can influence from an offline perspective but really importantly there's so many things that 
I've been a buyer for the past six months, by the way, and I'm seeing a lot of faults the businesses aren't doing where they just treat me exactly the same as they would have done a year ago. And they're not caring enough about the experience within the sales cycle itself. And I think that's actually damaging things. People buy from people, they expect a better experience. And I think it's time that we should all really like up our game and deliver on that. I think certainly I've sat on a few of these panels and talked on a few of them. And that's the one thing that's, that's jumped out for me is people starting to use digital transformation, which is now obviously very high on every CEO's agenda because they're trying to make sure they're not in a position that they were nine months ago. But it does seem to be much more about the customer experience. And if I go back to the old days of enterprise selling, of traditional enterprise selling, kind of in a non-SaaS environment, for example, it was all about the relationship. Um, and I remember sitting through some sales training probably 15 years ago um, when people were, were being told off for saying, yeah, I focus on the relationship. No, 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 you need to have sales skills. And I think COVID may have pushed us back to where we were, which kind of makes dinosaurs like me feel much better about things, to be honest. <laughs> uh, yeah, but you know what, you're, you're so right. But the conversation we're having now is how can we be as good you know, you talk about those field sales organizations, traditional enterprise, how can we be as good at building that relationship face-to-face -face and doing it digitally? And that's a big roadblock for a lot of companies that have been doing it the same way for a hundred years in a lot of cases, right? You look at financial services, these are not young companies. Um, so those are the conversations we're having now. And a lot of that comes down to data mm -hmm. and un breaking down the data silos that you have in your organizations, really getting it all pulled together, yeah. helping understand what all these touch points mean. What is, you know, it, it is, it's a data conversation and it's a conversation that people have been unwilling to have and I think are, are being forced to have it now. Yeah, and just to piggyback on that, especially on the, the whole customer experience portion, um, the reality is, and again, not to really, you know, highlight on six cents, but with any kind of intense solution that you have out there, uh, the ability to know what companies are doing research on and to be able to provide value. That whole value-based approach as opposed to taking more of the, the relationship approach is more or less of what people are experiencing nowadays. So, you know, one thing that we teach our BDRs here and a lot of our customers do this as well is uh, if we see that certain companies are searching for certain keywords, they're doing it because they have some kind of business problem they're trying to solve. That's just kind of at the end of the day how it goes down to. So if we have a strong understanding of what kind of business problem they have, what our particular product can do to solve that, that's my job to educate my sellers, my BDRs, everyone to be able to communicate a message that's going to give them something to help them do their jobs better. And the reality is because a lot of our, our customers now have access to that where people are using uh, different, different kind of intense solutions, more or less as, a, as the industry continues to evolve, people are almost expecting for you to know a little bit more about their business so you can provide value to them based upon what their business needs are at the current moment. Yeah, I think the, the tricky part is how do you do that without scaring people? Um, how, do you, how do you do it without making them feel like you're peering over their shoulder? Um, I've seen some really powerful things and we're talking about, uh, to your point, Josh, how do you kind of pivot to this digital method, right? And I talk about this every day with a lot of our customers. Um, there's a lot you can do with event stuff, but with intent, I think there's a really powerful use case that we've seen. And I don't think this is spooky, but I would like to get people's opinions on it, is you can actually do like, Let's take a, a BDR, just like you said there. Take a BDR who has that data that can see that someone at Nike is searching this and you can literally just vidyard that. Hey, my name's Alex from Reachdesk. And I noticed that you, or probably even in, in this account, are looking for these things and here's how we can help you solve it. If you're interested in that, let's set up a call. That can be just one really 
small step that you can do using video, sending someone a remote world using intent just to break through to someone saying, I'm here to solve a problem for you. I, I don't think anyone would have done that before. No. But it, I think that's a really powerful use case. Some people are afraid. I mean, if you're of that. selling intent, that doesn't I mean, seem if, creepy if, at if all. Because right? that's, that's what you're selling. I mean, that, if you're, you're selling intent data and yeah. you guys aren't doing that, then maybe you guys are. But you can do that yeah. for. for if you're not selling intent, right? you can do it if you're yeah, selling no, ABM services, right? You're, you're... Yeah, and I, I can just speak on that because I think Alex just froze a little bit, but for, for our customers that do have that information at hand, um, I do agree. It's a little bit creepy to explicitly say, I see you're researching this, so let's have a conversation about it. Yeah. But it is worth it to at least try and like take that information and tie it back to what that company is doing and how you can solve their problem. So for example, just say, say in the event that someone is searching for the word ABM, like that company is doing it for a particular reason. You don't have to explicitly call it out in a call and email say, like, I see you're searching this, but you you can assess through through news, through uh, portions of your website they're going to, why they potentially could be doing that and communicate a strong value prop that will help them with their job. Because um, yes, to your point, Alex, if you are selling intent solution, you can definitely do that. Uh, but if you're not, it, it is important to at least know their business and why they're doing that research and be able to communicate that so uh, they get value based upon what they're searching for. Okay, so I think we've, we've touched on some really interesting points there. I mean, the, kind of the next thing I wanted to explore was we've, you, all four of you have talked about the need for focus, um, kind of sorting the wheat from the chaff. How do you define your serviceable market? Because the world has changed. It's not what it was. Yeah, I can jump in. I can jump in here and, you know, because this is something that we do for our customers explicitly. And it does come back down to the data, right? So we have a data science team internally and you can start with your own data, right? You, you have CRM data, you likely have marketing automation data. That's a good place to pull from, especially if you're in the enterprise to give you a sense of who's buying for you, who the people are that are members of the buying committees on those accounts. What are the industries? You can start to define those things, right? And then you can start drawing some conclusions based on the data that you have. Um, Part of what you're doing there is looking for what questions you're trying to answer. And then oftentimes you have to go and then augment the, that data to find additional data sets from there. And what we typically do once we start to draw some conclusions is we start to model out our serviceable markets and even start doing territory planning based on the value of the territory and the value of the opportunities in that area. So defining your serviceable markets based on explicit data rather than the gut. And I think that's one of the things that you see a lot, especially from executives who say, we need to be focusing more in financial services, as an example. You know, they might be just thinking about that million dollar deal that you sold in 2018 to a financial services company. And we need to do more financial services. And I've heard it time and time again, the data actually says that million dollar deal is an outlier. And you need to be putting your focus here. You're actually going to get more deals that are closer to 750K that are gonna make up that revenue gap with your right fit customers than that one weirdo that was uh, you know, an outlier. So you really have to do let the data do some talking and defining your serviceable market. Yeah, and just to quickly add on to, to what Josh just said, uh, the reality is people want certain things in terms of their serviceable market. And it's it tends to not necessarily be what it exactly want to be. Um, so point. you have to let the data be your guide. And the reality is also with COVID, like even some of our serviceable markets right now are completely different as they were 
just even six, seven, eight months ago. So uh, just to kind of layer on to what he's saying, the data should always be your guide because if you're following off of gut or intuition or off of a dream of what you think should be, uh, you're going to tend to put yourself in a, in a tough uh, situation. Yeah, I think one of the things that I've been telling a lot of people to do, I've seen it work really well, is, is do it like every sort of 45 to 60 days as well and like refresh it. A lot of people have just said, well, I did it back in April. And so we've stuck with that. And it's like, okay, but the world is probably changing every month right now. So we're trying to do it every 45 to 60 days. Try and do it monthly, maybe. Um, just because I think that, that data refresh is almost the most important bit. If you get to a, to a point where you, you're, you feel informed, that's good. But just iterate on it and refresh and refresh. Hopefully you'll see your, your market start to open up a bit more too which would be the sign that you want to know. And if you're a hyper growth company and VC backed, then that might be a good reason to go and get some more cash and like start keep mm -hmm. continue raising. Oh, I don't know. So th those are things that I think, um, I think are important and, and mustn't let, let, let people drop the ball on it. It's too easy to. Yeah. Imala, you're obviously. Found that a lot of this. I was going to say you're focused on financial services, <clears throat> you know, and you're right. uh, a very defined market space anyway. So how do you narrow that down? Um, we concentrate, number one, a lot on our current clients. We have a, a large client base, and so we, we are constantly expanding them. We also, we listen to them and, and see where the credit unions and the banks need the most uh, services, and we can bring that out and, and define a market outside of our current clients. We also, uh, you know, I'm always looking for other sales partners, so people that service the same types of uh, industry that we go after and we work with them and, and we get a lot of feedback from them as far as what their our clients are looking for, outside clients are looking for. And we're also, uh, you know, watching the blogs of the different uh, institutions that we work with. And uh, you get a lot of feedback when you just, you know, keeping an eye on a blog because you, they don't know you're watching, but you could, you could see what they're talking about, where the problems lie, what they're looking for. And then we could reach out, not saying, you know, hey, we were spying on your blog, but, you know, coincidentally just saying, sending an email and, hey, do you know we do this? And so it, you just have to really think out of the box, I think, a lot and, and look for several different areas of finding your clients, really. Okay. Interesting. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm going slightly off the questions we talked about earlier, but you know, I just want from each of you, can you give me one line that you would give advice to, a, let's say a BDR in this current climate in terms of addressing the right market? Yeah, if I give one line, trust the data. Whatever the data looks, whatever the data looks like for your organization, whether um, you have a team that's pulling information from lost opportunities, or you have an account-based solution. Um, let the data be your guide because things aren't quite as intuitive as they seem right now. So uh, at least have some kind of compass is really important. Okay. Anyone else? I mean, I would say, I'm sorry. Go on, Lana. Go on. I would say uh, listen to who you're talking to. Listen to their needs uh, and, and just be human. Don't try to oversell them. I think the problem is everybody feels desperate to sell and they're, they're going down the road of doing sales pitches. And I would say just have a conversation with people. These sensitive times and they just want a, a human to speak with. Okay. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I don't have anything to add on what Ernest said. I think trust in the data is, is, the, is the best thing you can really say. The thing that I've been trying to advocate as much as possible is to 
for BDRs specifically, reduce the level of automation that you're using and, and really focus on the quality output. Uh, there's this problem where a lot of businesses I see just like, let's pull that lever and just get more communications out and become more generic and more bland and, and less personal and just more about what we want. And actually, if you flip it and you pull it back and you pull on the quality yeah. lever and you do actively teach them how to research accounts and personas, how to like really find the, the data that they need to break through to them, to personalize more and to use that approach, you'll see your response rates and the delivery return in terms of you breaking through and booking more meetings. You should increase. It's very tempting just to go, let's hit more people. That's actually a really good way of burning your total addressable market really quickly. And I think that's something I'm just trying to stress to as many businesses as possible. Some people say, say I think I'm mad there because they think that's it's a risky approach to take but i think that's the winning formula okay yeah can't can't argue with any of those i'd say focus on the person right you know whether it's trying to get the meeting once you've got the meeting and you're having that conversation listen to them what are they saying have a conversation with them what matters to them what's in it for them you know don't worry about your product or your pitch until you've got a way to tie it to that person and tie it to something that matters to them you know it's sales 101 <laughs> Yeah, it really is. And I think one of the best things I've seen over the past eight, nine months, or whatever it is, is, is actually made us better as salespeople. Mm-hmm. It's brought it's brought the things that we've spoken about for years to fruition because if we haven't adapted and we haven't done them, mm-hmm. then we don't stand echo. a chance. <laughs> yeah, and just to quickly echo Alex really quickly, um, there, there was a lot of research, especially when COVID initially launched, that people were just playing the pure volume game and not personalizing, not doing account research. And it was not working for them. Uh, so the, I guess the points everyone's is making right now, um, yes, we've just had to up the game and, and not taking that automated approach um, is really important right now, more than ever. So you've talked a lot, all of you have talked a lot about trust the data, um, do your research. For those people that are listening to this podcast that haven't really taken that data-driven approach, what are the key data points that you think BDRs, AEs should be going after to be able to identify which logos they should chase? Well, hopefully the BDR isn't identifying, you know, what their market is, their, their, their go-to-market team, you know, their CRO, their CMO, those folks should be really taking the, the research-led approach to strategically how, to go, how do we go to market, who are we going after, what is our core value proposition and all of those types of things. When it gets down into the tactics of a BDR reach out, there are a number of things you can do. I mean, LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a great place to go to find out if people are active on that channel. You know, are they talking about things? Can you interact with them there? Some do, some don't. So that's a place to go. If you're targeting executives, and this this isn't mine at all, I, I just had a, a gentleman named Evan Kelsey on my podcast, and he talked about for enterprise sales aligning to executives by going to public companies' investor relations pages, right? Looking at their conference presentations, looking at their investor day presentations, where you can kind of get layman's terms around what the company's focusing on. And then taking a step deeper into that, digging into the proxy statements and the 10Ks, some of those documents will literally tell you how executives are compensated, right? So if you wanna know what's in it for somebody, understand how they're getting compensated, right? And what business problems they're trying to solve. Like those are some things that you can do to just start to get an idea for how you personalize and tailor that outreach once you know who you're going after. And you can start to prioritize your day based on those outreaches, those responses and building your own little engagement funnel, which is what I would assume 
Ernest, as a SDR leader, you're, you're, you're telling folks, right? You have your little mini funnel, right? You're, you're have levels of engagement, how you're going and things like that. So I'll let you talk to that. That's probably more your world. Yeah, definitely. It, it just comes down to like, again, we keep saying it, letting the data be the guide. Um, I, I wouldn't necessarily say the BDRs or SDRs should be kind of building out their account list. I think the, the go-to-market team should have that in place for them. Um, if you have an intense solution or an ABM platform, hopefully that can help you at least get a sense of that. Uh, but to the point that Josh made, I do think it's really important when it comes to like tactically doing outreach to these people to provide that good customer experience. They're taking very much of a multi-channel approach. Like people are afraid to call nowadays. They need to call. You need to do email, you need to do social touches, you need to do gifting as Alex was talking about. Um, yeah. our, our customers and buyers now expect to be hit on multiple different channels and we have to respect that. So uh, tactically, if you're if you're an SDR BDR who's not going through all different avenues, then you're kind of selling yourself short. I think it's important to, too, because there's so much outreach now with, with COVID that everybody's doing emails, everybody's doing LinkedIn messaging. I think just getting yourself out there, putting posts, let them let them come to you, put news articles on LinkedIn, let them read, you know, in, in uh, industry magazines, let them read about you. Um, make sure, though, that when you're reaching out to people, you're not just, I'm, I'm getting, I don't know about you guys, I get every single day emails and a lot of LinkedIn messages of, you know, people with uh, different products like leads and whatnot. But what they do is yeah. they put a little thing, a calendar invite, assuming, you know, I'm going to be the one and I'm going to, you know, make a meeting right away. And it, it kind of, it's not personal to me. And um, it, it annoys me a little bit, to be honest. A lot of people reach out to me with all different things thinking I own the company. You know, and it, it's, you have to do your research and find out who the right person is. And, and that's, you know, using LinkedIn, going on the internet, uh, just doing different things that you could think of to, to find the right person for that job. And don't just reach out to somebody and assume they do it because I don't know, you know, the inner workings of the company. I know what I sell and that's about it. It's just lazy. It's just what Alex was saying earlier, like more isn't more. More is yeah, just it isn't. It really killing isn't. your brand. It's killing your perception. If you think you're going to get someone on the phone by just blasting them with the same message over and over again, it's not going to happen. The expectation bar is much higher than that. And we have to be professionals. And, and if we want to be perceived that way, then we have to treat them that way. So how do you... It's so, very impersonal. I mean, a really interesting point. Um, and bearing in mind, this is, you know, we're aiming this at sales leaders to give them some help and guidance moving forward in the future. How do you guys think, or what do you guys think is the best way to coach your teams to do this the right way? Because I don't think most BDRs, SDRs really know how to do this. And I'm certainly sure most, a lot of AEs don't know how to do this effectively. So as a leader, what do you do to coach your teams? Yeah, sure. Uh, I, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, I'll keep it brief. You know, we have to have a cultural shift. Uh, around not just focusing on the metrics. And I know that metrics go all the way up, right? The board is expecting metrics. Your investors on Wall Street are expecting metrics. But as a sales leader, we almost have to internalize all of that and, and take that heat. When we push down to our teams, we need to protect them from that. We need to be coaching them on quality conversations, focusing on people first, who is the right fit for us? What is the message? What is our value? What problems do we solve? What do we listen for? That's the stuff we wanna be focusing on as sales leaders and not turning every interaction into a pipeline meeting or to how many dials did you make or to this or that. Like, That's the stuff we need to be changing the culture around in sales. We need to focus on really good selling 
and as leaders internalize the metrics and figure out how we present that to the board, to our leaders, whatever that may be. We need a creative culture of coaching. 100%. And the mantra I always tell my team and other leaders is uh, let the metrics uh, guide you, but don't define you. Uh, and the reality is if I have someone on my team who can pump out 10 calls and get 10 opportunities versus someone on my team who has to send 3000 emails for the same thing, like that's an issue for me because I want, I want my team working efficiently. So uh, and if, you, if you take those numbers to a board and, and try to promote how your company's doing and, and share the, the health of your activity, uh, they're gonna look at someone with 10 emails and say it's not enough or they're not doing what, what should be done. But the reality is, if you think about it, that person who did those 10 emails could have gone through hours of 10Ks, you know, reading all these, these investor relations reports, listening to webinars, conferences, et cetera. And they were able to pull these strong nuggets that were compelling enough to get someone to take a meeting with us. So the reality is yes, use the metrics as an indication of how people are doing in just terms of overall activity, but never let it define you. Um, and, and what you can do to essentially kind of create this culture of like hyper-personalization providing value is to highlight the wins. Like we, we make a very strong point whenever someone generates a meeting through like a really interesting, unique, data-driven uh, account research approach to make sure everyone sees it and we highlight it because we build a culture around the fact that um, we want our team to be almost like consultants like mini consultants where we've done a lot of research on companies and know exactly why they want to have a meeting with us and taking that to the bank and ultimately getting a meeting and it starts with leadership first like you, you, you can't really create that culture geared towards just pure metrics otherwise uh, it's gonna be really hard for you to, to stay in that. I guess I'm a bit old fashioned in a way. I've been doing sales for so long. To me, it's all relationship building. You know, create the relationship, be responsive to, if they ask you a question, if they ask you to get something for them or, or you know, follow up with them. Follow up is so key. I can't tell you how many salespeople lose sales because they never do the follow up. Um, not everybody's going to be ready right now, and you have to respect that. It, it's, it, there is, these are strange times, and, and people are on edge, and they don't know where things are going. So just follow up. Do it in a nice way. Be original with how you approach people, and just, again, be human. You know, build that relationship with them. We're all, we're all people. doesn't matter. I speak to a lot of CEOs, and, and they eat and drink the same way I do, you know, and we talk on, on a very level field. Um, people forget that, I think. I think it's, I think it's an interesting point. I've been arguing for a little while that the metrics have become too important. Yeah. To the detriment of the business. So, and you know, come back to what Ernest said, I'm like you, Ernest. I'd rather have one guy making 10 calls and eight appointments <laughs> than another guy making a hundred calls and two appointments. Exactly. The metrics say he's doing a better job. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, I'd love to see us move to more of a, an output view. What was the actual output? What was the real effect? Um, so, um, yeah, it's, I think it's an instant set of points, really instant set of points. I mean, what do you think? I mean, Ernest, I'm going to address this to you because in terms of when you're looking at, you know, target market segmentation, et cetera, what are the key metrics you use? Yeah. So in, in terms of just outbound, um, we care about calls, emails, social touches. We do gifting uh, to Alex's point out there. And, you know, for us, if we are going to look at metrics, we have like, if you're not doing this at a minimum, then that means you're probably heading down the, re- the wrong direction. Uh, but it's not necessarily a thing that's going to define someone and say, like, I, we just want to win. That's all we care about. But, but one thing I will say is uh, we are starting to track more of like an efficiency score. 
So if we see that someone's like pumping out too many emails or too many calls and they're not generating enough meetings, that's more of a problem, regardless of whether or not they're hitting their number. Because if you're doing all of that work to hit your number, think of what can happen if we make you more efficient and stronger at your messaging, uh, you should be able to pump out more meetings. So um, at the very least, we, we are starting to track more like the efficiency score, if anything, because um, if you track that metric before anything else, then it should, be, it should be a pretty good leading indicator of where your team's performing. And how did you come up with what was the right efficiency score? That's the challenge. That's definitely a challenge. But but what we do is we te- we've tended to look back on people who were top performers in the past. And interestingly enough, I, and I, this is something that I've seen for as long as I've been in uh, SDR, BDR management, sometimes my best performers are not volume people. They're the ones that send fewer emails, fewer calls, they're hyper-focused, more targeted, and they kind of set the benchmark for the rest of the team. So then it kind of makes it look like if you're that person who's just pushing out a ton of volume and you're not on par with the top performers, it's kind of like, what are you doing? Uh, so in, in the event that we see that happening, that's where you spend a lot more time focused on uh, teaching the, the BDRs about personas, about our industry, about our product. Um, reasons why we should be selling to people just so we can educate them better to make sure that their messaging is a little bit more informed and more personalized. Okay. Interesting. What's interesting to me about that efficiency metric and why it's so important is because everyone will tell you how important pipeline is, right? Pipeline is the lifeblood of the business, but you know, I work for a services business. So managing our pipeline directly impacts resourcing. We can't have inaccurate pipeline. It just doesn't, it can't be a thing. And I've sold to and through software companies for over a decade. Their pipelines are a mess. The amount of garbage in there of what they're putting as opportunities and this and that is unbelievable. How you can forecast anything effectively is beyond me. So to Ernest's point, like if we can start early in marketing, in sales development, and start to build that culture of efficiency and accuracy, and really focusing on things that matter, then when it gets into actual pipeline, we're not forecasting garbage, right? And that's a quality metrics measures that start to come all the way back into marketing, aligning marketing and sales to the same things. You know, this talk was about ABM, right? And I think that's where ABM can be successful is aligning both sides of the house. And that's why I think ABM is actually a bad name. Like it, it turned ABM into this marketing tactic which wasn't what it was intended to be. It was an intended to align. Marketing was something that sales has done forever, right? And it is a quality over quantity focus on the right people, trying to find people at the right time, effectively measuring things that matter, building sustainable pipeline and closing revenue at a higher rate. Like That's what it comes down to. And if we don't bring that efficiency all the way forward, we're never gonna get it down at the end of the funnel either. Interesting. Um, Marla, are you seeing the same? Yeah, I, I agree with, with everything they said, Ernest and Josh. Yeah, we need, we need some dissenting comment, then we can get the debate going. But Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm going to disagree with the next thing anyone says. Don't give them a mouth shut then. <laughs> One thing I've, um, I've noticed, certainly in the last nine months, is I've always had a phrase of single threading into accounts, and I've kind of picked up on sales guys for 20 years for single threading in light of covid i think having a good stakeholder mapping process or having a good approach to stakeholder mapping um, has become more important than ever is that something you guys are seeing 
Yeah, definitely on our side. And uh, it's interesting too, because when you think about multi-threading, especially once a deal has started and kind of how BDRs, A's, marketing are all going to support that, uh, people don't necessarily have the strongest playbooks built out to do that effectively. Um, but the reality is you need that as something because because most means that we generate, especially in an environment where people might be hesitant to introduce other stakeholders or get more people involved in a deal because of the fact that the budgets are constrained, uh, you need that. Otherwise, it's going to be a lot more difficult for you to push deals through. Um, but we tend to have a process at, at Sixth Sense where once you generate a meeting, it's like all hands on deck. You know, everyone's map. We map up the organization. BDRs know who they're going after. AEs know who they're going after. Marketing knows what kind of campaigns we're going to touch. And we, we want to take that to kind of create a swell because we understand the fact that, you know, when you take a true account-based approach, it takes seven to eight buyers essentially to get buying and to have a deal push through. And if you're only single threading going after one person who maybe is your champion, or maybe is that one person who truly does want to buy your product, if you're not helping them sell it internally, then you're cutting yourself short. And it's going to be a lot more difficult for you uh, to have shorter sales cycles. And are you seeing that the stakeholder pool is actually growing as a result of, well, certainly in financial services, I'm seeing in the real estate business, as a result of more checks and balances getting put into buying cycles? That's what I would say. Yeah. I'll echo that to everyone else, but we, we've seen that as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wish I could disagree with Ernest, but I'll, I'll emphasize it with a story. How about that to change okay. it up a little bit? So I'll never forget a deal I was in and I had the CEO and the CFO as my buying committee, the champions, right? So you think a pretty clear line to decision, a pretty clear line to money, people who have a good pulse on the impact of the business. What else do I need? Right. And as it turned out, the final pitch was to the board. The board had a internal consulting team as a part of their private equity firm that took that business that I never even thought about. So, you know, I lost the deal, wanted the CEO, CFO, very singularly threaded, was high on my horse. I had the people, didn't have to do anything. And it turns out I got that deal pulled out from under me by board members. So <laughs> there, there is always somebody else and that is the value of multi-threading to your point there. You know, I think, I think gotta be thinking we all got at least one of those stories, Josh. Totally. With all totally. the battle scars. That's right. You know, sometimes it's the person you least expect. Um, in a previous life, I sold uh, automated payroll uh, systems. And um, I mean, I'm sorry, uh, accounts payable systems. And, uh, yeah. you know, we always went to the CFO or the VP of finance. And we had this one deal where we were getting it signed. We, you know, the CFO loved it. It was a big company. And it turned out that his the person much, much lower on the, the scale was an older woman who was retiring, who knew nothing about automation and computers. And she, apparently she had a big hold on him. So, you know, she should have been involved in, in the meetings to begin with, because we mm -hmm. could have showed her the value and how it would make her life a lot easier since she was the one that was gonna eventually be actually inputting all the information and, and using our service. And we didn't even think about that. We had the CFOs buy-in. So yeah, I have to always uh, do a lot more digging, ask a lot more questions. Who else is going to be involved? Who's going to be using this and bring them all in on the meetings? Okay. Interesting. Thank you for all that, guys. That's been good. We've got about 10 minutes left. Um, and I know, obviously, because it's designed to be a podcast, as most people are listening to this later, so we're not going to get a lot of questions. But... Um, before I go into summing up, what I'd like, if possible, from the three of you, because unfortunately we've lost Alex, um, which, as you all know, is a fault of Zoom systems anyway, but we keep dropping somebody out of a panel, disappearing. <laughs> um, 
if you're advising sales leaders about you know trying to understand abm or whatever we want to call it and setting up those long-term or short or sorry setting up to shorten those long-term enterprise plays what advice would you give those sales leaders in terms of running their own teams running their own businesses um you know you guys have shown today you've all got lots of experience of doing this um perhaps ernest we could start with you what would you what would be your your nugget of advice that you know you could talk around yeah and it kind of goes back to what josh first brought up you know trust the data like we all have varying levels of data whether it's within your crm you know within your map whether you have an account-based solution like don't trust intuition don't trust your gut feeling don't trust what you want make sure you're guiding yourself towards what actually makes sense for your business through data. And if it's as simple as, you know, having a good understanding of certain technographic data, firmographic data as to who you should be selling to because it aligns with your, your current ICP or even more complex to having like a true account-based solution, like a sixth sense where uh, you'll be able to pull all that and piece it together to identify who you should be going after. Um, there's a reason why your, your account-based works and because you're going after the companies that give you the best opportunity to win. And if you start to incorporate elements that don't align with data and it's more subjective, then it's just not effective. So, um, and the reality, even, even with that, sometimes you'll see that, you know, when you take this data-driven approach, sometimes these are accounts that you wouldn't necessarily think want to buy from you, but you, you have to trust the data regardless of whether or not it's something that you want versus what it's actually uh, going to push in the right direction to win. Okay, cool. Thank you. Josh? Yeah, I would say if it's your first foray into ABM, and you're trying to prove the value and build out the business case to whoever your team is, don't just focus on acquisition. That's a long road, right? I mean, you're likely doing ABM because you're selling into the enterprise. You've got 18 to three year sales cycle, 18 months to three year sales cycles. That acquisition cycle is gonna take a while, right? So don't try to prove the value of ABM just by acquiring a new set of customers. You're gonna set yourself up for failure. failure. I heard, Marley, you talked about customer marketing. Yes. What is something that we can do to expand within our customer base? Is there a new product we're trying to attach? Is there churn we're trying to impact? Is there, you know, something that's profitable that we can, you know, whatever it is, right? Attachments, upsells, whatever, like focus on the customer base. Or look at one thing, that a pilot program that we ran that was super successful was we looked at stalled deals. So we looked at the data. The data told us that there's this point in the sales cycle where our deals stall out at a pretty high percentage. So we let the data help us figure out what was the reason for that and how can we re-engage those folks. It turns out they were missing members of the buyer committee. We weren't threaded, multi-threaded enough, and we weren't getting them to the table at the right time. So we ran an account-based campaign to unstick a set of deals that were later in the sales cycle. So the first nine months of that process had already been gone. Now we're accelerating some deals that we may have lost otherwise or could have taken another year or two to get through. And now we're providing value faster. So the whole thing is to say, don't just focus on that new acquisition. I know it's sexy. I know it's what the CEO wants to see. I know it's what the board wants to see. But if you can build your business case around other business levers to facilitate the ABM conversation, you're gonna be a little bit more successful, maybe quicker. Yeah, I'd say, I'm sorry. Okay. Oh, carry on, Mueller, sorry. Uh, and I was going to say, you know, as far as the current customer base, I would go back to them. I have a very focused customer base, as you mentioned before. But if you talk to them, listen to them, see what, what's benefiting them, 
and ask them questions. Why did you go with us? What made us yeah. this attractive in this day and age? What would you like to see? And what do you think other companies like you would like to see? They could lead you to people they know or, or other companies and give you a real good insight into how to talk to you know, your, your target market. Yeah, and I think those are all good points. I mean, I'd like to um, pick up on something you said, Josh. We've all had a massive focus on, on new customer acquisition. Um, and I'm seeing, you know, I, I sit on a couple of industry groups and I'm seeing good SaaS businesses not focus on their attrition rate um, and their downsell and churn. And therefore their, their gross and net retention numbers are horrible but they're still only focusing on new business acquisition. I don't get it. Uh, You're in SaaS. Like the whole business model is based on you are recurring in, revenue right. on the back end. Absolutely, 100% agree. The other thing I would say is, you know, some of us, not all of us, sat through this same situation in 2008, 2009 with the financial crisis. And actually, if you look at the impact on the business, COVID and the financial crisis kind of had the same effect. Mm -hmm. um, actually, just on the business. Um, and I saw exactly the same behavior then. It's incredible. We never learn from our past mistakes. Um, yeah. so I think it's really, really fascinating. I mean, this has been a great conversation. Um, has anybody else got anything they'd like to add before I start to wrap up? I mean, I know we're kind of running a slightly out of time, but. Yep. Good stuff. Thank you for inviting us. Now, I think guys, Marla, Josh, Ernest and Alex, who's no longer with us. Thank you very much for joining. I think guys, that has been a really, really interesting discussion. I think there's some key um, points have come out of it, um, which is fantastic. Um, I mean, some of the key takeaways for me are, you know, focus on the right details, the right deals, and let the data define what those right details, uh, right deals are. Um, I don't know, um, Ernest kept coming back to this and trust the data. Um, I love the point that I think it was Alex made about, you know, you can't just focus on new business acquisition, but sprinkle glitter on every conversation, every interaction. Um, really focus on that, that customer experience. Um, so I think that has been a fantastic, really fantastic market. Um, for those of you that are listening to this, please continue to attend. Um, there's a great panel pretty much every time one of these goes out to the, the podcast world. Um, this will be out on all the podcast formats very shortly. Um, but just to wrap up, thank you for um, everybody that's attended. Marla, Josh, Ernest, really appreciate talking to you. It's been really interesting. Um, enjoy the rest of the day. And uh, I will be reaching out to all three of you and get some more, um, more insight from you. Awesome. Thank Thanks you so much. for having us.